I, I want to start this series off with this because it's kind of when Jesus was starting his public ministry, the first one-on-one encounter that we have with him is, is we're about to read that. Because I believe that a lot of people are looking for something. The people in the Bible were looking for something. To be honest, a lot of them don't know what they're looking for. So the world is so confusing, and I say confusing even when it comes to like, you need God. But then look at what the world has. There's so many Bibles, there's so many denominations, there's so many religions. What do you believe? God is the creator, and God created everything. No, everything came from a big bang, and how do you know this? And there's science, and then there's Bible, and there's religion, and then there's faith. And before long, Satan loves to take it all and mix it so much that nobody knows where to turn to, what to believe in. It's confusion. Jesus came to give us truth. He came to be the light in the, ans- uh, in the darkness. He came to be the answer. John 1, 1. It's not where we're going, but it sets the stage of where we're going. He says at the beginning, he says, let me just explain life. <clears throat> he says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word is capitalized in that passage because it is talking about God. But it was the Word that he spoke the power of God informed the world out of nothing. It says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It was the spoken presence of God that created things and gave life. He says in verse 3, it says, all things were made by him. We sit there and wonder, where did I come from? And why am I here? And where am I going? And what is life about? And God says, let me just sum it up for you, because I know there's so much confusion in this world. And it says, all things... We're made by him. And without him, not anything made that was made. He's the author. He's the creator. He's the inventor. You want to know how marriage works? Go to the creator. It was God. You want to know why life works? Go to the creator. It was God. You don't want to know why I'm here, where I'm going. No problem. You just go back to the creator. He started it. He created it. He's the author of it. We try to figure it out all these other things. And God says, do you understand that none of of that's going to ever work? Because the fact is that I created all things. And by God, all things were created. He takes it to another level in verse 4. In him was life. Life. And the life was the light of men. In him was life. He's the giver of life. All things are dead without God. Brings life. This makes sense when you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when you go to the very beginning of it, and it says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. So he took it and formed the, the, the dust together and formed the image of a man. And that's what we know is for life, is that image. And you, you sit there and say, hey, I'm a person, and when I die, I die. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. I'm not worried about eternity because I'm just... When I hit the grave, I hit the grave, and it's over, and that's what I believe. But the Bible takes it a step further, and he says, you need to understand who you are. Because he says, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. This is important for us to understand. If you're going to understand life, if you're going to understand purpose, if you're going to understand your existence in life, you've got to understand this. Let me give you some truths as we get going. Truth number one, you are more than flesh and blood, you have a soul. 
I know for some people you're saying, we know this, this is so basic. You have flesh, but you also have a soul. There's an inner man. There's a side of you that makes up who you are. I'd love to speak to the heart of you, and to be honest, I can't. You say, Pastor Tony, speak to my heart. No, I'm talking about the spiritual side of you, but the Bible says it's so cool. And that the word of God, the creator of God, the word of God, it's powerful, it's quick and powerful and pierces to the heart of man. That literally God says, my words can speak to the inner man in a way that man's words cannot speak to the inner man. That is why faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is why it's so important. If you're going to make a priority of your life and priority out of your parenting, make a priority of putting your kids under the word of God because of the author of their life that will speak to their heart. When we pull that out, we're wondering, I can't get through to them and I don't understand what's going on. They're filled with anxiety and problems and all this other stuff because you've taken the author away from his creation. And we wonder why we have problems in our lives. But the Bible says that God speaks to the heart of man. And you want to know why these things that the Bible says that in him was life and the life was the light of men. Think about this. You sit there and say, I don't believe that. Let me, let me prove something. If you were just flesh and bones, where do these emotions come from? Just being real. I, if, if you're listening online or you're here in person, I, wa- I want you to check yourself with this. Why is it that at the core of somebody... And let's take an illustration of a mom that wants to have a child and wants to do that. That one of the deepest pains and heartaches that they'll go through is not being able to conceive to have a child. In them is that internal, God-given drive to say, I want a baby. I want a child. Well, you're just flesh and blood. No, there's a desire in you for life. There's no greater love than a parent that has for a child. There's no greater love to have that baby for the first time and look in their face and love them unconditionally. And you say you're just flesh and blood. Where does those feelings and emotions come from? Go to the doctor and say, I broke up with somebody and I want you to remove that feeling or whatever out of my life. And the doctor says, hey, listen, I, I, can, I can remove you, you know, kidney stones or whatever, but I, I can't take that out of your life. Where is it? Point to it, feelings, emotions, joy, peace, sadness. You are more than flesh and blood. That's why we strive for life. Man knows this. Man wants to connect to this. You can go to the deepest parts of places, the deepest parts of Africa and villages and places that have never been reached and they, they, they go into those places and they've never heard, man, they've never heard English or whatever, but you know, you know what you're going to find in a lot of those places? You're going to find an idol of some sort where they know that they have some sort of inner desire to worship a God. Not knowing God, they create it. We do this even in our lives. We try to create God something to follow, something to believe in. Here's truth number two. Your body will die but your soul will live forever. You see, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, as it's appointed unto men once to die, and we're all sitting there going, of course, everybody's going to die. No doubt, everybody's going to die. We know enough about life that everybody's going to die. But after this, the judgment. You see, the Bible says that your body will die. You're going to die, but there's more to your life and more to life after than just the death part of the physical body. 
It's funny how people do this, and, and I do funerals and things a lot, and I, I hear this. People come up to me and say, now, Pastor, I'll be honest, I don't believe I don't believe in God. I don't believe that there's heaven. I don't believe in there's hell. I don't believe in the afterlife. I don't believe in all those things. I just don't believe in all that. Okay, okay. They say enough to speak to, uh, about that person. They say, I know they're in a better place and I can't wait to see them one day. I was like, well, wait a minute. You don't believe in God. You don't believe in heaven or hell, whatever, but you say that because at the core of us, it's crying out to say, there's gotta be more. Don't tell me that grave is the end. Don't tell me I have to say goodbye forever. Don't tell me it's over from this point on. The inner man knows that there's more. Truth number three, your creator desires for you to know the truth. We see this through the life of Christ. So jump to verse 14, John 1 verse 14. It says, in the word that we're talking about, the word that gave life, the word that is the author of life, the word that, that spoke things into existence, the word that created man at the beginning was made flesh. We talk about the fact that you are more than flesh and bones, that you're spirit. Well, we're talking about the spirit that was made flesh. It goes in both directions, and Jesus is proving this. And that, that flesh, Jesus, that was made flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. See, it was God brought Jesus in so that we would see him and know him and follow him and desire him. And the glory of the only begotten of the Father that was full of grace and truth. The word, Jesus, was filled with grace and truth. Literally meaning that I'm going to show you. He steps into our life. He encounters our life so that God can say, I'm going to tell you why you're here. I'm going to tell you where you're going. I'm going to tell you that life gets better. I'm going to tell you that you don't have to go through the garbage of this world. You don't have to turn to all the the emptiness of life to try to feel something in your life. That there is something greater. It's Jesus. And this world doesn't know that. The Bible says in that passage somewhere in there, it talks about how how the light dwelled among them. But they comprehended it not. They, They were still lost in the darkness of it. See, as we study the life of Jesus, we can study the encounters that he had with people. That he was intentional because he stepped into their lives to change them. Let me illustrate this. We're going to do this in two ways. I'm going to do it through testimony. I'm going to do it through a man named Nicodemus. So just turn the page to John chapter 3. We come to our first encounter with Jesus. The Bible says there's this man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And he was a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi... We know that thou art a teacher that come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now you say, why in the world is God going to about to explain salvation through this guy? Have you ever thought about that? It's like you, you take the Pharisee and you think about who he was. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious person. If I was to bring in Nicodemus and standing before you and say, tell me about your life. He went and sat there saying, man, I've served time, man. I, I, I went through it. And he'd be like, hey, hey, listen, let me just tell you who I am. I am the leader of the leaders. Pharisees in the Bible were the religious elite. They were the ones that had it all figured out. They were the ones that were the example. They were the ones that everybody would look to to follow. He would stand up and boldly proclaim to you that I do good, I strive to do good, I memorize what is right, I try to honor God with everything that I say and do. If there is a do-gooder, he is a do-gooder. If there's a good person, he is a good person. And Jesus starts explaining salvation with this guy. Now notice what Jesus says in verse 3. And Jesus answered and said unto him, he's about to drop a bomb on him. He's about to like change the conversation big time. 
Jesus begins to talk about heaven and hell and eternity and salvation. And he says these two words after. He says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily. Now sometimes we just breeze breeze over that, but you've got to understand if you're going to confront a lie, you have to confront a lie with truth. Verily, verily literally means that. It means truly, truly. He was almost in a sense saying, have you ever tried to talk to somebody that was doing something wrong or in the wrong direction and so on your heart and says, dude, I have got to tell you the truth. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying lecture or trying to prove yourself right, but on your heart being like, man, I've, you, you need to hear the truth. You can imagine Jesus is this point. And sometimes we just read the words and we forget the fact that there was a passionate Savior giving this. Turning to him saying, Nicodemus, I need you to hear the truth. Accept a man. Be born again. He cannot enter. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man. And the word says he cannot. You see what Jesus was saying. He was changing or trying to lead Nicodemus to be changed from darkness to light. You have to understand that there is only one way into heaven. And that's what Jesus was trying to say. Jesus brings up heaven. And he literally says in that, that verse 3, he says that you cannot see the kingdom of God. He's demonstrating it in a way of almost Jesus saying there's a door. And he actually says that in John 14, 6. Jesus said unto them, I am the way. Now, if anybody in this world would come out and say, hey, I believe there's many ways to get to heaven. And I believe it's up to the individual person. I'm going to tell you straight up, that is a complete lie. John 14, 6, the Jesus said himself, Jesus Christ himself said to those people in John 14, 6, I am the way. Literally meaning, if you're trying any other way, you'll never get there because I am the only way. He said, I am the truth. You know what he's saying by that? That if I am the truth, everything else that says that there's another way to heaven is a lie. He said, I'm the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the author that gave you life at the beginning. I'm the one that gave you a soul. Sin is the one that came to take life, but I'm the only one that can make you alive. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. So why is this so important? Jesus giving a visual of truth. He's clarifying the way. He's clarifying that there's only one way because of the fact is we are so easily led. We go by feelings. We go by emotions. We go by fears. We go by all these things in our life. That is how we live our lives. It's just easy. Jesus paints this picture, another point where you can see what's going through the back of his mind. And he flashes forward to heaven of this scene. And he says in Matthew 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Now think about what Jesus is saying when he says this. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven. He was describing people standing before God after death. He said there's going to be a lot of people that are said they're going, Hey, Lord, Lord, you know what that Lord, Lord is? It's our religious jargon. I believe that Jesus is the way, and I go to church, and I claim Jesus for this, or whatever. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. The next word is what scares or should scare us or, or, or send chills up our, our backs as we read this. It says, many will say to me in that day, 
Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess of them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Say, how is that possible? The Bible says for literally there, there, there to be lines of people or congregations of people that are sitting there saying, Lord, Lord, oh, I know him. Lord, Lord, I, hey, hey, I, I served. I've done so many good, wonderful works. I've, I've served in this and I did this and I gave to this. And man, I was faithful in this. But Jesus said there's going to be a crowd of them that I have to say to them, depart from me because I never knew you. It's not that I knew you and you lost something. Jesus said he doesn't have short-term memory issues, okay? He said, literally, I never knew you. You didn't go through the door. You tried to go in another way, and that other way will never get you to the Father. Here's what, it, if I was to break it down, it's, it's how is this possible? Salvation is not by good works, and that's what we're learning from Nicodemus. As God's pull, pulling out this perfect example of a good person, When God says very clearly, it's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It's not by works. It's not by any physical thing that you're going to do is going to earn your way into heaven. Jesus, the door, the way, the truth, and the life was standing there saying, I've already paid the price. I went to the cross. I died. I rose again. You can't go any other way to heaven but by me. And if you're going to try to do it by your good works... And I say this because it is the number one thing that people say to me when I talk to them about eternity, when I talk to them about salvation. You ask them the question, do you believe that if you died today that you'd go to heaven? I do believe that I would. I do my best to be a good person. I am trying to do a lot of good deeds. Do you realize that if you're trying to skip the door of Jesus and do good deeds, it's not a way to heaven and it will never work. It will be those people that are part of the crowd of the many. Many will I say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Because of the fact is you tried to do it your way and not God's way. It is human nature to think that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. It's human nature and we see it in cartoons and everything all around us. So it gets ingrained in our minds. So we try, when I do something bad, I'm going to try to do something good to offset that bad. It's not scales in heaven. There never will be. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ that covers all your sins, not just some of it. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And that is the only way to get into heaven. Your good will never outweigh your bad. Number two. Salvation is not about religion. It's another thing that people say. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was a Pharisee, good doer, but he was also a ruler of the Jews. He was talking about his religious position when it came to that. And a lot of times we love throwing out labels. I've been a Baptist all my life. There won't be a line that says Baptist into heaven. Never, ever, we want. it won't be Methodist, it won't be Catholic, it won't be Presbyterian, it won't be whatever you want to do, it won't be there. There are no labels in heaven. It's only saved people that know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. That is it. But a lot of times we get so wrapped up and you ask somebody, would you go to heaven? And they automatically say, man, my dad was even a deacon. Well, good for you. Man, we never miss. My mom volunteered all the time. I had this position. I had this title. All these things that in our minds, you say, why is it that we think like that? When Satan came into the picture in Genesis, he came as a deceiver to twist the things that God said. Did God really say that? That you can't eat of that tree? 
Oh, man, he's a deceiver. At the end of Revelation, when he is thrown out, thrown into the pits of hell, and the devil that deceived them. Do you get that? The devil that deceived them. The devil that deceived them. The devil that tricked them. For every time there was an invitation at church and every time somebody confronted sin and every time you heard a song or heard a message or heard a testimony and God's moving in you and Satan comes in and says, dude, you're fine. How long have you been going to church? Seriously, if anybody's making it into heaven, how long, do you, do you know how much good you do? Do you know, do you, you're one of the best people that go to that school. Everybody even knows you as that religious kid. Deceiver. To make you put your confidence in something else. is the reason why Matthew 7.22 says many will say to me in that day. You know why? Because Satan is very good at his job. Of deception. Of either putting fear in your heart to keep you away from church. Or comforting your heart as you sit through church. Rejecting and quenching the spirit of that's why First Thessalonians or Thessalonians tells us about quench not the spirit of God. The spirit of God will come to your heart, he'll speak to your mind, he'll shake you up and try to get a hold of your heart and mind. That is the spirit of God, the author of life, speaking to your inner man. How was Nicodemus changed by this encounter with Jesus? Number one, you have to understand that there is only one way. Number two, you must be born again. This is such a churchy thing to say. You know what I'm saying? I mean, talk to a Christian about salvation. They'll be like, I'm a born-again Christian. And the lost people are like, I don't know what that means. You know, it's like, it sounds good, but it's like, but in reality, what Jesus was saying was bringing it down to our level to where it totally makes sense. So I didn't want to just say you must be saved because that's not the language Jesus used. I'm using Jesus' language when I say this. So let's read the rest of this story. So here's Nicodemus, verse 3, and Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. Except you be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is now being like, okay, wait a minute, he's talking about my mama. I don't, I don't know what's going on here. He said, Nicodemus said, how can a man be born as old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So he's, he's like scratching his head going, wait, wait a minute, what are you talking about here? You're, you're, you're talking about being born again. I've already been born once, but Jesus was drawing a comparison. He said, oh yeah, now you get the physical, right? A point in your life that you came into transition, a drastic day in your life, some, something that made you alive, something that came into this world. How can a man be born when he's old? Verse five, Jesus answered and said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except the man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter in the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. It's a comparison. Now let me clarify something, because a lot of times when we read this, we think of the Spirit, or the, the, the being born of water, is talking about baptism. It's not. If I was to take a chart right now and draw it, he talked about the being born twice. So, so we got two columns. And then we talk about being, being born of flesh and born of spirit. Being that which is flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Then he said that you must be born of water. If, if you've had a baby, the only way that that baby can come is the water has to break. 
When the water breaks, the baby's born. That's what it is. You're born of water in that aspect of it. He's literally talking into Nicodemus's language. Do I enter a second time into my mother's womb? He goes, no, when your water broke or your mom's water broke and you were born, that was different. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. He was drawing a comparison to understand that you have to be born twice, one's physical and one's spiritual. So here's how this works. You say, understand what does it mean to be born spiritually? Number one, I'm just going to lay this out so simple. Number one, born again requires a spiritual awakening. We live in confusion. So many things distracting us in this world. The Bible says, in him was life and the light was, and his life was the light of man. See, we, we, we have to get to the point of being saved. You actually have to understand that you're lost. In order to meet the Savior, you have to understand that you need to be saved. And a lot of times we do this out of convenience where you walk into a religious experience. You understand that when you realize the fact that you are lost and on your way to hell, there's a light that goes on. God speaks to your heart and mind. You open your eyes and you realize, what must I do to be saved? It's a transition. I know this because I went through this. I, I, I've told you guys my story so many times that I was, grew up a Christian. I, I, I read my Bible every day. I had a Awana Awards. I, did th- I went through all the actions and motions of being a good Christian. I didn't have peace in my heart. And then one day I was sitting in a church service. That row, halfway back, group of teenagers. I'm in the middle of it. And God spoke to my heart. I'm in a way like I've never had before. I mean, like nothing that I've ever had before. And I remember my eyes going, being open, spiritual eyes reeling that, that I, I need God. And all of a sudden, nobody had to come up and drag me, twist my arm or talk me into it. I pushed through the crowd saying, I know what you're saying and I need what you have. I need that. And I think sometimes we try to manipulate the work of the Spirit of God and there's a danger of doing that. You don't have to talk your kids into being saved because it is the work of the Spirit of God that does it from the inside out. Dangerous thing to do, parents, when you sit there and try to talk your kids into being saved. You don't do the work, it's the Spirit of God that does it. When you take the Spirit of God out of it, it is all flesh and no spirits. There is a danger with that. I'm not saying not to talk to them or influence. I'm not, talking, not telling you not to witness to them or share with them or pray with them. I'm not saying that. But I am saying do not do the work of the Spirit of God. There's an awakening that has. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You realize what the, the Bible is saying for the, in respects of that. I, no matter what I do, I've fallen short of being able to get into heaven. If I do good deeds, if I go to church, if I'm a good person, the Bible says, let me explain it like this. All those things that you did, it's not enough. You're still falling short. If you owed $1,000 on your rent and you had $999.99, I'm telling you, you can't pay your rent. You've fallen short. And God says, all your good works that you've done, you've fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible continues and says, and by the way, the wages of your sin is death. Dead. Literally meaning the one that you need is the one that gives life, and you can't give yourself life, and your works can't give yourself life. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
You have to acknowledge that you're a sinner. You have to acknowledge that you need God. There has to come that point in your life where you look and say, I'm lost and I need you. It's just an awakening in your life that only the Spirit of God does. Number two, born again is believing in your heart. Now, I, I need to explain this because of the fact is the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, so there is the confession, but you can't leave out the second part. And thou shalt believe in thine heart. It's an internal conviction that Jesus is the only way to heaven and that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart Man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, being born again, Jesus was saying, there was a point in your life, if I was to take a survey, how many of you have a birthday? I guarantee you every hand would go up, because you were all born physically. And Jesus said, do you get that? You were all born physically. Jesus said, can we step into another area? Say, how many of you were born spiritually? There's a place that you came to in your life that you opened your eyes, you realized that you were lost, you realized that you were a sinner, you understood that the only way to be saved is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Do you remember the day, the time that you saw your need? Do you remember, can you call it out, do you have that inner encounter with Jesus where you realize that you are on your way to hell and everything that you have tried is not going to work? It's only Jesus. The reason why I say this is for this reason. I went through this and my wife went through this. Both of us have these testimonies, and I thought, so how many other people are going through this life of being confused, not having this confidence because they're trusting in something else? So I need you to hear this from the heart of somebody that's lived this. I was not born into a Christian home, but my parents were saved very young, and I remember the first time they took me to Sunday school. It was already a horrible experience because it was new. I had no idea, I didn't know anybody, I didn't know what to expect. But at the end of class, the teacher looked at all of us and said, raise your hand if you know you're going to heaven. And to my horror, I was the only one who did not have my hand raised. And I know she probably meant well, but she looked at me and said, you don't wanna go to hell, do you? And I'd seen enough cartoons to know what hell was, so I said no, and she said, then repeat this prayer, and you can go to heaven. And I did, because I didn't want to go through that embarrassment ever again. I knew even then that something didn't work. Um, so that night, I was in my bed, and I prayed again, God, if you didn't save me before, can you please save me now? And I repeated that prayer every night of my life for many years. Until one day I had the idea that God just didn't love me. He didn't want me. And even though I'd heard that God loves everybody and God wants to save everybody, I was the one person that he had chosen not to. So I still continued to attend church with my family. I sang in the choir, helped in the nursery. I did all the things that I knew a good Christian girl should do maybe hoping to change God's mind about me, I don't know, but I'd even hear sermons once in a while that made me think, okay, maybe, maybe I should just try the prayer again and see, but I would end up just as empty as before. And I was always too ashamed to talk to anybody because by this time I was a good Christian girl from a good Christian family, and I didn't want to disappoint the people that I knew. 
So after graduation, I went off to a Christian college. I met Tony. Um, we would have discussions about this, and I, when he asked me about how I got saved, I told him I prayed a prayer as a kid, because that was not a lie. Um, but we ended up, we got married, obviously, graduated, and moved up here to Ohio. And now he is the youth pastor at this church. And so I did what I'd always done. I joined the choir, and I started teaching a Sunday school class. And I even had the opportunity to lead teens to the Lord. But I always knew that I was just a fraud because I did not live out inside what I was telling the teens. The summer of 2002, we took our teens to a youth conference down in Georgia. And that Wednesday, we spent the day at Six Flags. And that evening, there was we were supposed to have a service in the outdoor pavilion there at the theme park. There were going to be two speakers. So the first preacher got up, and he opened his message by saying, I'm going to speak to you today about a very famous man in the Bible. He traveled around about 2,000 years ago preaching. He healed the sick. He performed miracles. He made the blind to see. And then he said, his name starts with a J and ends with an S. And everybody, the whole crowd yells out, Jesus! And he said, no, I'm going to speak to you about Judas. And the whole message was about how you can talk and look and act exactly like Jesus or exactly like everybody else around you, and you can still end up in hell. And I wish I could tell you that at that moment I ran to the altar and surrendered my life to Christ. But even though I was... I definitely knew that God had given me this message. I was too ashamed to go forward because I had all these teens around me that depended on me, and they looked up to me. And if I admitted that I'd been lying to them, they would never believe anything I said from here on out. So um, instead, I left the service. Tony had taken our then one-year-old son out of the service, so I went to find Tony to talk to him. And I couldn't find him. So I ended up in the bathroom, praying, and I just, I struck up a bargain with God. I told him that I knew he had given me that message, and that it was exactly what I needed, but if he would give me another message in the second service, that I would definitely give my life to Christ after that message. As soon as I said amen, I hear screaming outside. So I run out of the bathroom, and it is raining harder than I've ever seen it rain in my entire life. There, you can't even see in front of you. Crowd of people running out of the auditorium um, to get to the parking lot. So I found Tony in the group, and I said, he, he was telling the teens, just run to the van, we'll meet up there, and we'll head back to the hotel. And I said but what about the second service? And he's like, it's raining. Um, and he said the second service has been canceled. And so we start running towards the parking lot, and all of a sudden this extreme fear came over me. And I really thought God was telling me that that was my chance and that I blew it. I tried to make a bargain with him, and he was just telling me, you know, you should have taken care of it then, and now it." you've lost your opportunity. And I burst into tears, and I just grabbed Tony's arm and said, I'm not saved. And so he, t he looked at me a little shocked. 
he said, let's just get the teens back to the hotel and we'll go out and talk. So we went to a local parking lot and um, I just poured out my heart to him. I told him how I lied to him, how I had been going through the motions pretending to be a Christian, how I thought my whole life that I was the one person God couldn't or didn't want to save and that he just didn't want me, and that I was too ashamed to admit it. And he looked at me and he said, when, when God saves a person, it's a miracle. He performs a miracle in your life, and you're trying to keep it a secret. And he said, you're hiding it because you're too prideful to admit that you need him. And you're trying to get saved on your own terms instead of his. So we talked for a long time. And at the end of it, I prayed a genuine, repentant prayer, asking God to forgive me of my pride and of all the sins that I had. And he saved me that day. But he did not stop there. He immediately tested my new faith. And the following Sunday evening, Pastor Denoff asked me to give my testimony in front of the whole church, which is ironic because I was afraid of one person finding out, and now I got to tell everybody. I always thought that I had to be saved out of a life of drugs or alcohol or something in order for God to be able to use my testimony. But it turns out there's a lot of people that struggle with what I did. And over the course of the next few weeks, around 30 people ended up coming to Christ because of what I had said, but because of what God did in my life and my story. I see now that God had a plan all along. He knew there were others that needed to hear my story. And I also see that my pride almost got in the way of not only my own salvation, but the opportunity for God to use me to help others. Through all those years of doubting that God loved me or that he wanted me, I never imagined that I could ever have peace and just not be afraid of the next church invitation or anything like that. So I just want to challenge you, if any of you are thinking that some of the same thoughts that I've had, God does love you and he does want you. Just don't let fear um, of what others might think of you stand in the way of the amazing life that God has for you. What do we learn? 1 John 5.13 These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Do you hear those words that you may know that you may know not wonder God didn't come into the world to give us salvation that we fear death or wonder what's next. We have this inner turmoil or we can't sleep at night or we're confused all the time. He says, I'm giving you the gospel that you may know that you have eternal life. He said later, he said in John 1.12, he said, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. He gave them the power. Literally, there's a miracle that goes on in your life from that point where we say, God, I know I'm lost, and I admit that I need you, and God, I want you in my life, and I accept you. I believe in my heart, not through just the words that I say, but I believe it. He said, I give you the power. 
Literally, the power over sin, the power over death, the power over eternity. God sets you free from your past, from your regrets, from all those things. You are washed in the blood of the Lamb only through Jesus, only through Jesus, only through Jesus. There is no other way. And I don't know why God had me come to this passage on this day. I don't know even why I'm sitting with Jenny and we're we're out to dinner. I turned to her and I said, you've got to give your testimony next Sunday. I know that God is doing something and God is working because of the chaos in this world is distracting. But I'm telling you, the God that is in this place is the God that wants to save you and give you peace and give you satisfaction. And that satisfaction is greater than knowing who's present and who's next and what's to come. God is greater than all of that. You've got to get to the point in your life where you're tired of living in fear and not knowing. And some of you need to get over your pride. Just like I did when I was 16, just like Jenny did when she was on staff, of knowing I'm not going to hell for anybody. I'm not living this fake life anymore. It's not about religion. It's not about my good works. It's not about just pleasing my parents. It's about knowing Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Have you come to the point in your life where you were born again? You were born physically, but I'm, I'm asking about your spiritual transformation. Because if you're listening right now, God planned for you to hear this. Because your creator wants you to know him.